Hello and welcome back to season three of Bang to Rights. My name's Pete Murray. I'm a lecturer in multimedia journalism here at Manchester Metropolitan Uni. We're back this week as our new journalism students have taken their very first steps into the lecture and seminar rooms around MMU and our returning students prepare to start their new courses in media law, ethics, regulation and all those wonderful issues that we aim to cover here every week on the podcast. I'm joined here in the studio by my colleagues and regulars, Dave Porter. Hello, Dave. Hi, Pete. And by Jeremy Craddock. Hi, Jez. Hi, Pete. Welcome back, everybody. Um, what, any stories that we picked up over the summer? We had one special edition um, where we looked at anonymity. Um, that was uh, last month. Um, but, Jez, anything that you've noticed at all? Yeah, I was interested, I suppose, looking ahead to what we're uh, teaching this year um, in privacy. Uh, interested to see that the BBC have paid out two million pounds in damages to Sir Cliff Richard over the um, you know the breach of privacy uh, relating to the allegations of historical uh, sex abuse that uh, um, suggested around Cliff Richard he was obviously never charged and the case was dropped but I see that they finally paid that out now um, and also interest, interested to see that um, Cliff Richard and I think Paul Gambaccini are mm. backing calls for new legislation to uh, protect the identity of people who are being investigated in these sorts of celebrity sex cases uh, prior to um, any charges being brought. Um, yeah, I think I, I, those those um, bills were, there, there were draft bills in the offing. I think Brian mm. Paddock in the House of Lords and, and Anna Subri in the House of Commons had put forward um, documents, but of course they'll all have been They'll all have been put in the in the, yeah. the recycling bin because of the prorogation, but presumably yes. they will. They, you know, they'll still be on record, and they'll, they'll yes. probably come back in whenever the new parliament resumes. And I suppose that that move by celebrities like Cliff Richard to sort of you know uh, get a change in the law that that's not going to go away, is it? I guess. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, that was interesting. Interesting one to pick up when we get into law and ethics next week with the uh, level sixes yeah I'm, I'm sure that's going to come back but we do we do have a really busy show this week and I, I mentioned prorogation we're recording today as the supreme court's hearing the appeals over the prime minister's decision to prorogue parliament myself i've been hooked on this stuff for the last couple of days i just before we came into the studio I got a text from an old workmate of mine who says he's completely transfixed but doesn't really understand all the symbolism on the carpet in the supreme court so maybe we'll come back to that at some other a later date um it's, it would be great to pour over what's being discussed in the Supreme Court today and yesterday, but whatever we say at this stage, we're recording on Wednesday afternoon, it's likely to be out of date as early as tomorrow tomorrow afternoon or tomorrow tea time. So we might have to hold on that, but maybe maybe come back with an emergency episode tomorrow or Friday. Um, any, any takers for that? Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see around. how we go. <laughs> uh, because actually we've got more than enough to look at today. First... Was the Sun right to run its story this week on Ben Stokes' family? A story that actually dates back more than three decades to before he was even born. We're also looking at court reporting. What happened when one of our students went to cover a high-profile live case? And then we'll be having a look at some new research which showing just how thin coverage is across England and Wales of cases across all sorts of magistrates' courts. But first, the Ben Stokes case in the sun. And joining us for this section of the podcast, our sports journalism specialist, Vince Hunt. Hi, Vince. Welcome back to Bang to Rights. Hi, Pete. Hi, everybody. Hi, Vince. Hi, Vince. So the broadcasters and a number of other papers have taken a decision not to repeat any of the detail of what the sun said. Um, that itself something we're going to consider. But, Jez, can you sketch out an outline of things so that listeners have a, an idea of what Ben Stokes has become so angry and upset about? Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, obviously, Ben Stokes, the uh, England hero of, of the summer with the uh, the Test series, 
Um, obviously, great interest in him as a as an individual and as a sportsman. But the Sun have um, one of their reporters, I believe, has been out to New Zealand to look back into the family history of Ben Stokes' his mother, who um, was married previously uh, before Ben Stokes was, was born. And as I understand it, um, her two children were killed, murdered by her previous partner, who I believe uh, killed himself after, after the murders. Um, and I think the the Sun reporter has spoken to one of one of the relatives, I think, of the family who yep. has kind of, you know, given all these details. It goes back to the 1980s, so it's a it's a, a very old case, nine, you know, 30 odd years ago. Um, so that that's what the Sun has gone with, splashed on it, uh, and there's been an absolute. Obviously, Ben Stokes um, has used social media to criticise the Sun and to dis- describe it as despicable journalism. And the the sort of response on social media has been incredible, really. Um, sort of, you know, uh, supporting Ben Stokes and criticising the Sun. So, a very interesting um, yeah, yeah. reaction, really. Vince, what's what what have you got from what Ben Stokes himself has been saying? People might have seen some of this on social media, but take us through what he said. Well, quite understandably, Ben Stokes is uh, his reaction has been very strong, and. I mean, just be, just before I, I go into that, I, I think s- some outlets have have not given the full details mm-hmm. of what happened, and I think it's I, I don't think it's entirely possible to understand the enormity of this story unless you do know what happened. Because, mm-hmm. for example, these uh, the killings happened when this uh, ex partner had custody of the children. Can you imagine the impact on the family and the mm-hmm. and the the people involved of of having allowed that to happen or that having happened. Anyway, the reaction from Ben Stokes, he describes this story. uh, 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 Today, the Sun has seen fit to publish extremely painful, sensitive and personal details uh, concerning events in the private lives of my family going back more than 31 years. Uh, He describes it as low and despicable behaviour, disguised as journalism, cannot conceive of anything more immoral, heartless or contemptuous. However, a family member talked. So, you know, while that's his personal reaction, that reaction alone does not give you the full context and landscape of this story, does it? Because mm. a family member has talked. Mm. Uh, I'll just give you a bit more from Ben Stokes. He says the Sun sent a reporter, and of course uh, that's in quote marks, uh, to question the parents. So obviously this is incredibly upsetting for the parents, and, and I wouldn't dispute that for a minute. Uh, he says the son uh, thinks it's acceptable to sensationalise uh, the personal tragedy for their front page. Um, disgusting uh, the, the way that the parents have been treated and, and the, he's aware that his public profile brings with it consequences for him that he accepts entirely, but he will not allow his public profile to be used as an excuse to invade the rights of his parents, his wife, children or other family members so mm. you know to mm. me that comes down to uh, is this a public interest story is it a story of interest to the public is it an mm. invasion of privacy and I think it's it's pretty clear where Ben Stokes sure. stands on this mm. however can I just balance that with the reaction of the Sun and the Sun says it has the utmost sympathy for Ben Stokes who is of course uh, a hot name in sports news at the moment and, and of course is of interest to the public but it says The story was told with the cooperation of a family member who supplied details, provided photographs and posed for pictures. 
and the story is also a matter of public record, which they've pulled in. I don't know if you've seen the original yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've done, you know, I mean, I have to say respect due to the sun for the completeness of their story. Full pictures, family member quotes, everything. Mm. They've approached Ben Stokes for comment, and they, they closed their statement saying that uh, he, was contra- he was contacted prior to publication, and at no stage did he or his repre- representatives ask us not to publish the story. Oh. Okay, so so Dave, where does where does that leave us then? So well, we've got we've got a cold case, thirty years old, mm. and the Sun <clears throat> has kind of refreshed it by talking to a, a member of the family, um, but it's it's intrusive, it's hurtful, and you I know all of all of that. The, and, and also, I guess the Sun has a long history of cutting the legs out from under celebrities, mm-hmm. so um, w- they have form and all of this. But where where do you think we stand on this? Well, ethically? I think Vince brings up some important points. Uh, I would say putting a regulatory hat on it. The Sun is signed up to Ipso, so they have to abide by the Ipso code. Yes, with public interest, I think they would they would claim that in the story. I think Ipso would, would ask a few questions. A, um, is the story proportionate? Has it been sensationalised? What was the impact of the story by having it on the front page? You mentioned then it's a matter of public record. I think that's fair enough. But uh, I think Ipsa would say, what would be the, the fairness of rehashing a personal tragedy uh, 30 years on? The Sun also says they spoke to a family member. I mean, I've read something this morning to the effect that, if she, you know, obviously she's part of a wider family, but I'm not sure the Stokes family would say that they're close. Um, as I understand, she's the daughter of the, uh, the murderer, so to speak. So it's not as if they went to Stokes and his family, they, they've obviously said, no, they don't want to speak. Uh, I think they look at the, Im- the impact of the publication, how sensitive it was, um, and whether, in fact, it was handled in good taste. You know, of what sort of we don't really generally get to taste and decency. I think in this case, we mm-hmm. look at the sensitivity and whether, you know, they w- it would be seen as an attempt to generate sales by, you know, basically uh, as against family feelings. So I, I think that, yes, it, while it, is, it might be a matter of public record, it's a, how it's handled um, uh, and what purpose is served. Actually, what purpose yes. is served by the mm. rep- It's hard to think of a purpose. Really, although it was a matter of public record 30 years ago, what purpose is served actually by having this on the front page of a daily newspaper? That's a question which I think the Sun might find quite hard to answer. Um, anybody can go back and look at court cases, rehash old cold cases. Um, why, what's the motivation behind that? The Sun says it's public record, we've spoken to a family. Yes, it's a, it's a pretty complete story, I admit that. Um, I'll be interested to see A, if it goes to Ipso and B, what any outcome would be. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I don't think it, it's clear. It's not a, a, a clear cut case, this. Um, but yes. Jez, the, 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 there, is a, there is a risk. Dave mentioned it there. In terms of circulation, the story mm. will have attracted a lot of attention. They'll have, a lot mm. of, they'll have had a lot of hits on their website. Mm. Um, the story's further down the website now than it was. Mm. They will have had a lot of people will buy the paper just for seeing the front page. Mm. But. The the sun will also know that it's risky if you play with the people, play with with the the sentiment of people who buy the sun not for the front page but for the back page. Mm. So there'll be a lot of cricket fans who might find this really really offensive. Is that mm. is that a big I, risk for them? That's one aspect of this that really interests me. Actually, is is that we live in a very different um, sort of media landscape now than we did in the past, where th- this kind of story would be bread and butter for these kinds of papers, the news of the world in the past, you know, you take a celebrity, you delve into the past. I don't think that people, you know, consumers these days are as, um, 
you know, welcoming of these kinds of stories. And I think the backlash on social media may may make the Sun rethink this kind of story. I, I don't know. And like you say, maybe the the gain in uh, circulation. Uh, and online readership might be short term compared to the, the longer term yeah, damage. Yeah. And you look back to the um, the boycotting of the sun on Merseyside after Merseyside, Hillsborough. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, they could be facing something similar to that yeah. in the future. Vince, know. what do you think about the, the profile of, I don't know, a member of the Barmy Army, for example, who might be reading the sun? So general cricket fans, what, how do you think they'll, they would react to this? Well, you mentioned cutting the legs from under sporting heroes. He's a he's a hero of the moment, uh, and and he will be for some years to come. What effect is this going to have on his form as a player? Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the fact that this happened before he was actually born. Sure. I mean, mm. is that of relevance? I mean, if mm. if I'm digging up your past, Jez, mm. where where do I stop? Mm. You know, uh, how can it? Obviously. Ben Stokes says uh, his family has worked hard to deal with the private trauma inevitably associated with these events and has taken great care to keep private what were personal and traumatic events. Mm. And then the sun comes along and, mm. di- and digs all this up. Mm. Um, I, I'm really surprised. And, and I've looked at some of the... I have my own opinions about whether I'd run the story mm. and, and, and I'd be glad to share them with you uh, a bit later on. But let me tell you what the industry is saying to this. Uh, a regional daily editor, James Mitchinson, uh, from the Yorkshire Post, is, is saying that he's accused the son of heaping shame on journalism by running this story. And, uh, and a former South Wales Argus editor, Keith Ward, uh, also shared his thoughts on the matter, simply tweeting don't buy the sun so that mm. is mm. is this another Hillsborough moment I think it's smaller than that but I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's interesting in the, same the, the response that you outlined away from the sun to say it, it's disingenuous at the, at the very best uh, the most rather that they said we'd approach the family and they'd ask they did not ask us to publish it which is kind of twisted logic mm. Um, mm. you know it doesn't matter if I, say, if I say no comment that doesn't mean you can then go off and print whatever yes. you like so it's a rather disingenuous uh, stance to take. I, mm. I don't think it's totally clear-cut, um, but I suspect Ipsil would find this um, out of bounds, personally. It's going to be interesting. I'm almost certainly we will come back to this, because, I mean, I, reading between the lines, it looks pretty likely that, that Ben Stokes probably will take it to Ipsil, and so we'll, yeah. we'll, have a, we'll have a look at that as and when it comes. Yes. But you think w- if that were to happen, Dave, it would be pretty much a cut-and-dry case? I don't know. Because like Vince says, it's in the public arena. He's a public figure. Because the, um, the public interest thing and the, the public record thing is yes. quite a strong defence, isn't it? It is, but I also think uh, that what the, the difficult question for a son to answer is, what purpose does this publication yeah, serve mm, and mm. it's very hard to see anything other than generating uh, circulation and, and audience figures yes it's a tragedy but actually they've not spoken to the family as in mm. the family they've spoken to a distant family member who nobody has contact with um, it's difficult mm. and uh, again uh, I don't know this but did money change hands mm. who knows mm. I mean, why now? That's what I always think with stories. Why now? Mm. And obviously, mm. he's he's hot now. But why run it now? Mm. And and again, I think I can see why it's um, I can see why it's prominent. I can see why it's running. It's powerful. It's tragic, and it affects somebody that's in the public eye. I can understand why the Sun would want to run it, 
but I mm. can't see what good it might do. Yeah. Mm. I think Jez is right about the Paul Levison environment and the way that uh, these kinds of stories are, are handled uh, and the decision to go ahead uh, with publication. I think they could, these kind of stories could become self-censoring because is it, is it worth the sales you're going to gain on the back of the story against mm. the, the yeah. public opinion against you? Yeah. And the public opinion is turning against this kind of, you know, kind of journalism, isn't mm. it really, yeah. I would say? It, pu it puts all of that um, very, very heavily in the spotlight. So um, mm. thanks very much indeed for coming on Bang to Rights, Vince. Thanks Pleasure. a lot. Um, if you've got a view on that, if you're listening in, um, well, you are listening in, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a view on that, let us know at Rights Bang on Twitter, and uh, we, we hope to, to hear from you. Again, thanks, Vince. Um, so more now on that issue I mentioned at the top of the podcast and how one of our students, Dan Davis, found himself covering the first appearance in court of a 16-year-old boy charged with murdering the Lancashire teaching assistant, Lindsay Burbeck. We'll come on to some of the wider issues in covering magistrates' courts in a moment, but first, here's Dan. It was my first um, court well first proper report in a court and it was a magistrate's court um, and although it had to lead up to and get sent to Crown Court it was still quite an interesting case to go to so it was the in relation to the Lindsay Burbeck case the lady that went missing uh, and then her body was found in a cemetery and I went to the initial court hearing which was at uh, Blackburn Magistrates Court um, and there wasn't a great deal of reporters there, but it was interesting to go to because I'd, although I'd been to a magistrate's court before, I'd never properly reported. So I kind of threw myself in at the deep end and because it was quite a high profile case. It was a really interesting one to go through and see it from the start. So, yeah. Tell me your impressions. Ed. So this was the first time that you'd done kind of live reporting from magistrate's court. How, how was it? Um, it was it was interesting because although like I think you can learn as much as you like can especially on an MA course but until you're actually in there and experiencing it for yourself a lot of it because it's so intense like and you're in a court a lot of it like goes out the window and you forget um even though you've learned quite a lot um but it was it was really interesting because you have to ensure that especially in a magistrate's court there's only so many things of quite and quite a small number of things that you can report on um so you have to keep that in mind um but it, but it was it was good, especially because it was a high-profile case. I'd never seen the cases that I've been to when we visited court in uh, university. They weren't that high, although they were they were interesting cases. Whereas this one, you actually got to see the guy that had potentially killed someone in the flesh. So that was that was quite intense. <laughs> and was it quite difficult? Because I know. In my experience, reporting in, in sheriff courts, the equivalent in Scotland, you've kind of you've followed the investigation, you've followed the police investigation, you know quite a lot of the background to the case already, and yet you find you kind of have to hold your tongue really and be very careful about what you actually write or say. That was like the main thing that was quite difficult because because you'd followed it and because there were so many conspiracies and that you heard so much talk and you'd heard things from the police as well, so when you're in the court you really struggle to on what you can report but and then when you're kind of discussing it in the newsroom it's so frustrating because you can discuss it with people and, and kind of like the, the juicy details that you've heard behind the scenes but it's only really I suppose in, in my case it, all I could report on was um, the I mean he was he was under 16 so we couldn't report his name um, and all kind of you know he he uh, told the court his his details um and then what the um, what the prosecution heard and, and things like that but even even things like that weren't particularly 
uh, you had to be very careful. And so when you when you went back into the newsroom, presumably the editor gave you a little bit of guidance about how to write the story. Yeah, so we had to do a voicer from the uh, from the scene. So when I left the court, I wrote up a voicer, and because it was my first time in a magistrate's court and reporting there, she gave me a call, and which was really helpful actually. While I was there, and she said, um, "So you can't," because originally I'd put in some of the things that uh, the prosecution had told the the judge, and even things like that 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 were that, that even though you were saying that they aren't necessarily true, you still can't report them. Yeah, because we're still talking about committal stage here, aren't we? Yeah, yeah um, so even things like that. Um, there was even some like quite minor details that we, we just couldn't go into. It was very, very um, basic things that, that we had to put in the voice. But after she gave me that, that tuition on the phone, it was really helpful because I think... Um, as I said, you can learn so much on, on a course, but until you're in there, I think I'll remember that phone call like every time I go into a magistrate's court now, so it was really helpful. And uh, so what's what's next? Just What, what are you up to now? And, and did you get a... Uh, have you been hit with a bug to do some more court reporting? Um, I would like to go, but I think... Before Would you I like to in, follow this case through, for example? Definitely, yeah, because I went to Crown Court the day after um, and because I'd been to that, I'd found out a little bit more about it and now there's nothing else for that case until I think it's December and then the trial's in January, but I'd definitely like to follow it through and I've said that, even though it's it's quite uh, unlikely sometimes that the same person follows the whole case through. I think with this being my first one, it would be nice to, to see it out. Okay, well, all the best and maybe... Maybe you, you won't be at MMU any longer at that stage, but maybe you can come back on as a, as a guest reporter, a real-life guest reporter from the court. Yeah, I'll introduce myself as an ex-student next time rather than a current student, so yeah. yes. <laughs> Great stuff. Okay, well, we're going to follow that up, what you've just said, Dan. We're, we're going to look at a, a wider survey of, of court reporting, but all the very best. Thanks very much indeed for coming back on Bank to Rights. Great to have you. Back Thank to you the studio much. from here. Thank you. So that, that's Dan Davis. We hope to hear more from Dan early next year. Um, as you heard there, our first exclusive court report. But now new evidence shows that Dan's experience of covering a case at this level of the criminal justice system is getting more and more rare. I've been speaking to Sally Reardon and Marcus Koppel-Palmer from the University of the West of England. They've been looking at how scant coverage of magistrates' courts are around the country, with less than 1% of cases being reported on by news outlets. They focused the first part of the research on Bristol magistrates. There's been quite a lot of talk in the press. There's a lot of commentary about the decline of court reporting. And um, Phil, my former colleague who um, co-wrote this piece, um, we, were, we teach our students court reporting, and yet we kind of get the feeling that we're teaching them almost a dying art because we get the impression there's no one in court reporting this stuff so what we wanted to do is actually try and get some empirical evidence or some sort of baseline to show what level of court reporting there actually is going on so we thought we would go down to court for a week um, we had a bunch of volunteers from our students and former students and interested parties who sat in every courtroom at Bristol Mags for a week and we logged every case that was heard and we also waited to see if any journalists would turn up. Um, and um, that week we had one journalist um, we met who happened to be an alumni of our course um, who writes for a local paper and he covered one story. So we start to get the feeling that the perception of a decline is not a perception. There actually is very, very low levels of magistrates court reporting at the moment. 
And how how surprised were you by that? Well, we were surprised there was well, maybe we weren't surprised actually. We because when our students go down to court and I've been down to court with them, they don't see any other journalists and the ushers and the uh, court officials kind of are very surprised if you are there. And anecdotally, they say, well, we haven't seen anyone here for ages. I mean, our local newspaper does, their court reporter does occasionally go down to magistrates court, but they're very much concentrated on Crown Court on which there is still quite a lot of reporting. But the magistrates level where there's 95% of cases are heard um, are being completely missed. It's just nobody left to do it. It's it's interesting, that experience. I mean, I know you've been much, much more systematic about it, obviously, but, you know, occasions I've been to Manchester and Salford Magistrates Court with students or, or on my own, um, there have been, you know, there have been journalists there um, or journalism students, or in one case, one of my former students who now works for the Manchester Evening News, she was reporting on uh, from Coroner's Court. Um, Marcus, is is is, Brist- is the Bristol Court different? Do you think from from elsewhere in the UK in, in that respect that maybe there's there's more interest in some particular areas of the country? Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, there's about 150 magistrates courts left around the country. And there is a, a programme of court closures that the court services is undertaking. I mean, they're programming to close, uh, you know, another 50 to 70 courts over the next five years. So what we're seeing is is that the workload is going to remain relatively constant in the magistrates courts or indeed go up. We saw about 240 cases uh, during the week. Uh, there's about 45 to 50,000 cases heard in the magistrates' courts each week. When I say heard, they, they have at least a hearing of some type uh, through there. And, I mean, we, we saw one journalist, one case out of 240. I mean, that's, you know, we're talking about less than 1% of all cases being heard in the magistrates' courts being fully reported, um, you know, just from that. And that's shocking when you think that there is a principle of open justice that is key and the cornerstone of our society, that anybody can watch any court case, that trials don't take place in secret. And actually, if journalists aren't there to report on it and the press doesn't publish reports about it, we lawyers worry that that actually there's a whole layer of justice that's taking place totally invisibly. I, I guess this is a question really for both of you. Um, there, there is this other kind of layer of justice that has now gone online and we're expecting more and more of that. And so it's, it's actually going to be extremely difficult. I mean, next to impossible, really, for journalists to, to monitor that and report on that, scrutinise it, criticise it if necessary. That's one issue and that's happening largely because of, of cost cuts, isn't it? Then on the other side of the, the coin, we've got a regular criticism moan in newsrooms that there aren't enough reporters now who newspapers websites news websites broadcasters don't have enough money don't have enough reporters to send someone to court for a day or longer just on spec that a story might turn up how how is that ever going to change now are we locked into a position where there's just not going to be regular reporting systematic reporting of what happens in our lower courts well it 
when you were talking earlier about is it just Bristol where this is happening, mm -hmm. our second piece of research that we're working on now, we're doing sort of crunching the numbers, looks, we did FOIs with all 153 courts to find out how many were listed. And as Marcus mentioned, you know, there's an average of about 45,000 a week. Um, and then we looked at about 400 different regional paper coverage of that same week. And we found maybe optimistically, if we were looking at the numbers, about 300 of those individual cases were reported, which is, you know, a tiny, a tiny, tiny amount. Fraction, yeah. That's across the whole of England and Wales we were looking at then. So what we see in Bristol seems to be largely replicated across the country, if not worse. Now, the, perhaps Marcus would like to talk about the digital um, courts, but I think that from talking anecdotally to other media outlets that they just don't have the numbers to go down there i mean they're looking at maybe getting funding from elsewhere to do something similar to the local democracy yeah. record but you know i who knows when that money is going to appear and i don't think that the bbc have got any spare cash at the moment either um so we really need to think of sort of more creative ways of 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 tackling the problem, I think. Um, Pete, just, uh, just to say, I mean, you mentioned Salford as your local court. Uh, during our second survey, so here's a bit of an exclusive, um, there were 1,300 cases, just over 1,300 cases in Salford uh, Magistrates Court during the, our period of our second study, and there 13 only were reported in the local press. 1.1%. Uh, 13 out of 1,300. Good yes. grief. Good grief. So, so that's that's what we're talking about. And, you know, one of the things you, you mentioned before is that there is this perception by editors that, that it's going to be expensive to send somebody down to court and on spec that there might be a story. Certainly, as, as Sally pointed out in uh, the uh, first piece that we had published, uh, It's Criminal, uh, there was, well, on, on our uh, estimation, given the sort of normal news values and things like that, we worked out that there was around about 20 to 25%, perhaps even up to 30% of cases that we sat in on that could have made news stories and, and were able to meet, you know, basic news values um, or enhanced news values uh, through that. So, it certainly would seem to pay for for somebody to be there because that would generate perhaps you know ten stories a day. So, Sally, do you do you think there is there is this perception amongst amongst journalists that editors don't care? Is is that your view actually? That having having looked at this, that editors really don't care. They think they can't afford it. I don't think they don't care. We were just at a meeting yesterday. Um, at the Ministry of Justice to talk about this, and some of the media organisations were there. One of them said that their biggest, um, you know, the highest traffic is their crime and court reporting um, stories. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's very little doubt <laughs> that, about that, that people do drive. like reading this stuff, don't they? Yeah, ma massive driver of traffic to their website. You, you know, a million hits they get that they because people want to know about this stuff, who's been done in the court, which is encouraging that because we began to think that maybe, you know, that it, did, it wasn't a driver of online traffic, so therefore people had stopped caring about it. So, yeah. But I think that that's not the case. It's just that the economics of it, of being able to 
send someone down. The one guy we met in our week at Bristol, Max, um, he'd been to court. He'd had to come three times for this one case because each time it had been um, delayed because of very, you know, they were had to wait for reports to come back. So he'd expended an enormous amount of time to go down to get this one story, and that is a problem for a lot of smaller painters. Yeah, I mean, we we discovered, of course, that there are reports from the Crown Court and lots of you know, outlets still have court reporters, crime reporters who go to, to that level of court. But the justice that goes through the, that is, gives an impression, a false impression to readers that all crime is serious. Yeah. And we know that editors like to concentrate on sex and violence uh, as being the sort of taglines and hook lines around crime reporting. But that really doesn't give a an overall picture. 95% of cases are at the lower level magistrates' courts. And by not reporting on either individual cases or multiple cases at that level, you also miss um, a lot of what we could term justice reporting, i.e. issues that are common across the administration of justice. Sally alluded there to uh, a journalist who had to turn up several times because cases kept being postponed. And if you sit in court, you will find reasons why there are continuous postponements. We discovered, for example, that uh, interpreters weren't available to be in courts. Uh, we also found, for example, that prosecution lawyers were in three courts at the same time, and therefore everything had to had, had to turn up. Witnesses uh, failed to turn up. We discovered a case of somebody who had failed to turn up and was now only appearing in court nine months later because the police had lost them. And during that time, they had managed to go on a crime spree stealing suitcases from trains by sort of standing by the the luggage compartment and then just taking these, these suitcases off the train whenever they it pulled into another station. So all, all and, those stories in the secret barrister book are not just one-offs. It looks like they're much more widespread, no, that and, kind of experience. And, and, and that's it. But also, the, also it's by sitting in court and hearing, hearing the litany of, of cases, you understand yeah. uh, the prevalence of things like drugs, drink, domestic violence, uh, homelessness, um, mental um, wealth, mental health issues and things like that, which individual court cases don't just by themselves show up. And also, uh, you, don't, uh, you, you don't see issues about, you know, where magistrates are drawn from, those sort of justice elements, how the administration of justice, why the probation service is overworked, um, all of those issues, which only by having eyes and ears in the courts across all cases, do you actually begin to, to understand? And I would have thought, as a lawyer, that those sort of um, stories and impressions published in the media would be of vital importance and vital interest to the public. Absolutely. Sally, you mentioned the second stage of the research. When, when do you expect that to be finished, wrapped up, and, and when are you expecting to report that? Um, well, we have. Um, I've just been to the Future of Journalism um, conference in Cardiff mm -hmm. um, last week, and where we presented our initial findings. We're currently writing them up now. Um, hopefully, you know how long academic 
publishing takes, but we will hope to have something sort of towards the end of the year. But our initial findings are quite um, slightly depressing, I suppose, but not entirely surprising that it does seem to be replicated. It's not just Bristol where this is going on, but it's happening yeah. across England and Wales. Well, and, um, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, look, we'll, we'll have to wind up at that, at that point, but we will, we will keep an eye on that and we, we'll put links in the, in the show notes and such like um, to the research that you've done and we'll certainly keep an eye out on um, for publication of, of the next stage of, the, of this. Brilliant, great. We'll keep you in touch. Uh, there are two pieces now in the Press Gazette. Um, yes. The one, uh, the second one, I think you've seen. Yeah, as yeah. Well. So we'll uh, we'll put links in, in in them as well, into them as well. So um, Sally Reardon, uh, Marcus Keppel Palmer, thanks very much indeed for coming on Bang to Write. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. So the authors of the study have written a number of follow-up pieces in Press Gazette and elsewhere, so we'll put links to those and to the full report in the show notes and on Twitter and Facebook, so do have a look at them if you have time. But before we go, remember you can subscribe to Bang to Rights on Apple Podcasts, and as usual, you'll also find us on Stitcher, or you can search for Bang to Rights on the MMU Northern SoundCloud, Northern Quota SoundCloud feed. That's all one word, MMU Northern Quota. So um, before we go... Dave, Jez, what have what have you got coming up? I mean, Jez, this the the Ben Stokes case is going to feature pretty highly. Yes, yeah. Well, uh, level six, I've got law and ethics beginning next week, and we're you know conveniently starting with privacy. So we'll be looking at the Ben Stokes story, and the other one that's uh, in a similar realm is the Gareth Thomas yeah. uh, story. We obviously haven't got time to go into that right now, but we'll be looking at that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we might actually have a look at that next week once yes. the TV documentaries yes. run. So we, we'll come. So if we'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to that, so if people get an idea of what we're talking about, we'll, yes. we'll come back okay. to that in a bit more detail next week. We've got, uh, but but Dave, we've got a we've got a lot of guests coming up in the next we little have, while, haven't yes. we? And we've we'll come a, to one of them next week. Very special well. guest. We've got Matthew Dancona coming into host a think in. Uh, if you don't know what a thinking is, it's a, a debate effectively, and uh, organised by Toy Choice Media, James Harding. So he's coming to the university on a week today, in fact, coming to talk about uh, how safe our campuses uh, are. They are students free uh, to to be themselves and not suffer harassment, etc., etc. So that'd be really exciting. And I think uh, we've got Matthew lined up for a slot on. Bang to rights. Bang to rights um, next week or whenever yes. he, whenever he comes in. We've got a number of guests lined up for for the rest of the series, so it won't just be us here in the studio. Um, we'll also have um, our colleague Deb- Deborah Linton, who's going to be back on, so she'll be in the in the seat, kind of rotating around mm-hmm. the, the three or four of us. Deborah will be with us, um, um, hopefully for the for the rest of the season. But um, my thanks again to Sally and Marcus from uh, University of the West of England, um, and uh, we have been banked bang to rights. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks, Pete. Pete. We might be back, as I said, later this week, depending on what their lords and ladyships at the Supreme Court have to say about prorogation. Exciting stuff um, Mm -hmm. for those of you with a a geeky kind of mind like mine. But we'll definitely be back, as as Dave mentioned, next week. As usual, do let us know on Twitter at RightsBang if there are any topics or issues you want us to cover in those future editions. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.